nothing can prepare you for an experience like this, but an experience like this changed me. Welcome, my friends, to Moving Grief Podcast with Stephanie Joseph. This is your safe and loving container to explore all things grief. Here, we choose to move our grief, embodying it, allowing it to be a part of us so that we can live and embrace and accept that grief lives within each of us. Come along for the journey. Hey, and welcome to a, another episode of Moving Grief Podcast. You've got me again today. I do have some amazing interviews lined up, so you'll be hearing from more people. And I guess this is an invitation for those listening in that this podcast is a safe space for you to share your story. I truly want this space to be um, a place where we can honor all of our griefs. Griefs? Is that a word? Griefs? Is it plural? (laughs) We can honor all of our grief stories. There we go. So if this calls to you and you would like to hop on and have a conversation with me sharing your story of grief, how you've healed, how maybe there's parts that you're still working through, because that can support somebody else who is in the thick of theirs. So you here is your open invitation that you are always invited to be on this space with me. Let's normalize the conversations around grief. Let's share the stories of our grief so that we can continue to move the emotions that come with it. And we can also heal together. This episode is going to be the story, the story of why I'm even here with a podcast on grief, why I have the Grief Acceptance Project program that is there to support you. It is a story of my sister. I had the nudge to share this last week, and then it hit me. I'm like, for her birthday, I wanted to share more of a celebration. And I've shared bits and pieces of the story, but I feel it's time to really share more of it so that you can can I piece together why why we're here, why you're here, why I'm here. And I want to preface this whole episode by saying this is my experience. This is how I processed my sister's ailments, her hospital stay and her subsequent death. And I want to preface that preface it that way because I know that there are others that are near and dear to the story and near and dear to her. My story may be different than theirs and that is 100% okay. But this is also my platform and there is a reason why I am called to continue to share the the message and the story. So it's time that I put it all in one place so that I can send people to, or that you can understand why I'm even in the position or why I want to talk about grief. And it's pretty interesting that we're coming up almost on a year, a year of my life changing. Changing doesn't even encompass it. A year of the explosion and demolish of the world that I knew. (laughs) That's more of encompassing of how it feels to me. So let's go back June of 2022. My sister was healthy. My sister, Jen, I'm actually going to bring her in. Jen, Jennifer, Jenny, as she was called growing up. 
Um, She had just gotten back from a trip in Scotland, the first part of June, where she was celebrating a wedding with some friends. So in the prior years, Jen had attended the University of Edinburgh to get her MBA. And she was accepted into the program before COVID hit. And she still chose to go across the ocean. I remember she told me, so I had a podcast previous, it was called Transitions Podcast. And she came on and shared at the beginning stages of this big transition for her. And the thing that stuck out for me of our conversation back in, um, I think it was 2019, was that she was finally doing something for herself, that there had been many choices in her life that she, her choices were based off of somebody else's decisions. And this was a time that she actually got to do something for herself. And that was a big move for her. So she experienced her time in Scotland, you know, the ups and downs. It was during the COVID time. And that, you know, that's her her story to share, not really mine. Um, but in, she had just gotten back from a wedding with with her cohort that she had met in Scotland. While she was attending the wedding, there was people were showing signs of sickness and ultimately some had tested positive for COVID. And at that time, there was travel restrictions. Here she was. She had just rejoined her work. She was in a new role within this company. She was really enjoying it. She really wanted to be excelling at it. And so she was like, okay, I've People are testing. I need to get out of here, essentially. And so she booked a flight and cut her trip short and came back home and um, ultimately tested positive for COVID. The last conversation I had with my sister was two weeks prior to her going into the hospital. And she was calling to share the pain and the sadness of getting COVID and the timing that she got it. And, you know, all of this. And I was, Running errands, I can remember it clear as day. Um, I was running errands. She um, was just kind of in that space of this sucks. I can look back and say I 100% was not present in the conversation. I was worrying about what I needed to do, where I needed to be. And I pretended or I thought I was listening, but I wasn't fully engaged in active listening. I have since had a dream with her and have walked through forgiveness around that. But that was my last conversation. I even said to her, and I don't know why this came through, but I even said to her, hey, you know, the world's going to end anyway. And she was like, ah, thanks, Steph. Like, that's supposed to make me feel better. Looking back, it is so freaking bizarre that that's what I chose to say in that moment. But I, of course, did not know what was to come a few weeks later. So anyway, she was at home recovering from COVID, was complaining that she was having some massive back pain and headaches, but was linking it all to COVID. She had spoke to um, a telehealth doctor and they said, yeah, it sounds like COVID. So just stay home, rest, get plenty of fluids, all of that. I felt she did not let on how much pain she was in. Jen is a very independent woman. She is stubborn as all. She also didn't want to be a burden to anybody. She, she was going to get through this, right? Just like any 37 year old, it's going to get through this. Uh, finally, thankfully she did her and her um, best friend were talking and she finally accepted help. She accepted help from multiple people. But again, I still don't believe that she had expressed really how much pain that she was in. Um, But ultimately her friend came and stayed with her and was saying, this is not acceptable. You shouldn't be in this much pain, um, called 
home health. So a, a nurse practitioner came in and immediately suspected bacterial meningitis, called an ambulance and got her to the nearest hospital right away. And then she checked herself in, answering all of the questions, rated her pain level at a seven. Although she could not get out of bed, they needed to assist her in getting out of bed. And then within hours, within about five hours of checking in-ish, she went unresponsive and ultimately in a coma. My experience with that day, I got a call earlier saying, okay, we're getting on our way to the hospital from her friend, thankfully. And I remember being at the baseball game and learning like, we don't really know what's going on. To hear the words unresponsive for me did not click in my brain. Even to understand the possibility of it being bacterial meningitis had not really registered. I did some quick Googling because that's what people do, right? And it was like, oh, you know, tremendous back and spinal pain. And, you know, it's a disease of the spinal and brain and da 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 da. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's fine. She's going to get through this. And then you hear intubated. I don't know if you had the same experience with me, but when you would hear of COVID getting to the point of intubation, usually that's when people do not survive. And I had been in a hospital a couple of years prior for a family member that was in the ICU and had witnessed people on ventilators with COVID in the hospital. And it was not a hopeful sign sight. So anyway, after she went into the coma, it became, you know, she obviously cannot be making decisions for herself. They did not call it a coma at the time that comes later when you're, I was getting calls from the doctor making decisions on behalf of her with support from her best friend. And we were essentially just, you know, do whatever it takes to save her. And so there was a lot of medical procedures that was done overnight. I did not sleep a wink that night, was on the phone with them through all hours of the day until they can get her stable. And she was stable. It's such a weird way to look back and ultimately realizing that it was a, a traumatic brain injury. Um, stable is relative. Because COVID was involved, they had uh, quarantined her at the hospital. We finally got word that we can go into the space and I had flown down on um, Saturday morning. So that was a Thursday where she went into the hospital just to give you an idea of time. And then Saturday, I went down. Um, Of course, her best friend was still there just being by her bedside. I mean, she's incredible. And I know that they had a bond. They have a bond. It was very special. So anyway, getting down to the hospital and walking in and seeing your 37-year-old sister all hooked up with wires and a tube down her mouth and unresponsive is not a sight that you can ever prepare for because obviously her brain was involved. They had to do some procedures on her head. And anyway, we still get down there and there's still not full answers. They're doing a lot of tests saying it can take time to get responses back on the tests. They had sent out some some immediate immediate cultures for the meningitis, for different viruses, for literally everything. And the health department did get involved because they were, you know, were trying to contract trace and trying to figure out what was going on. And I do remember they used the term "your sister is a unicorn" for her age and for all of these things. She should not be here. So here we are figuring it out, waiting. It truly is a waiting game when you're dealing with a traumatic brain injury. Of course, you do not know that until it's in the time. And there is no instruction manual for dealing with a traumatic brain injury supporting that. But she is not conscious and able to make any decisions. At that time, it's like, okay, we just wait and we love. We love her. We support her. And she's going to come out of this. She's going to show us that everything is fine. 
And then Monday morning, we got the final word that it was bacterial meningitis combined with the COVID, which led to multiple strokes in her brainstem. The brainstem is the control center of your brain. So that is definitely not the place in your brain that you would like to have strokes. But I do remember we got, you know, we got the family all together. We talked with the doctor. Uh, She was in an incredible facility in Southern California. And, you know, we sat and looked at the scans. And they, you know, we're saying here's where the strokes are, or it can be infection, and they can present very similarly on an MRI. And I remember thinking, okay, so this can either be a stroke or it can be an infection. And I said, can it be either? And they said, yes, it can. I said, okay, then I'm going to hold out the hope that my sister, Miraculous Jen, as I was calling her at the time, that she, this is infection, she can overcome this. And it's just a waiting game. It's a waiting game to see what, what damage was done to the brain. So we waited. That's what we did. We waited. Um, She had multiple people by her side. She had people travel in from everywhere, (laughs) from across the world. We were waiting for any responses to show that there is signs of, really signs of, of, of life, of living. And there was multiple times where the doctor explained that you know, you've got to start thinking about the quality of life. And it's like, who, who talks about that in an, in a normal everyday situation, especially a 37 year old. So what quality of life is she willing to accept? Nothing short of what she was living, nothing short of her traveling the world, nothing short of her going on vacation the following month. Like that, that is, that is the quality of life that Jen wants, right? And so essentially we got to the point where we're, you know, in that waiting game. And then we started seeing signs, some eye movements. They are checking the pupils constantly and something that's really fascinating that you don't realize until you're in the situation in order to see reactions from somebody that's in a coma state, they actually inflict pain. And they do that by pinching and pinching at the cuticles because that is one of the first uh, natural responses of the body to react to pain. And it like, just sit with that for a second, that in order to see if there is responses, they inflict pain. Now it's minimal, but they have to do that to see how the body responds to it. Just sit and chew on that for a minute. So we were getting responses from her hands. We were getting eye movements. We were getting her looking on command, look to your left, look to your right. And this was I want to say about seven to 10 days into it, I would have to look at my journal that that, the details of that that kind of really doesn't matter, but we were seeing responses. And so then became this, this, these hopes, right? This, okay, you can do this, Jen. I feel Jen knew more than any of the doctors. You know, I feel like this miraculous Jen, who is kind of, she has this body form, but her spirit, her soul is exploring and, and curious and she was, in my opinion, was checking in with her body and was like, okay, what can I do? And and she fought. Like we did see the fight happen. We saw the movements. We saw the eyes. We saw her move in her arm. We did not see responses out of her legs, but we were seeing the responses that they were they were asking for. And that gave us that, okay, okay, that's what we're needing, right? She's 37. They kept saying, your sister is young. She's healthy. She can pull through this. Again, we don't know the outcome of it until we see the damage. If we can get some breathing on her own, if we can get the responses to the the cuticle, they're always checking the pupils, making sure the pupils are responding. All of these things lead to 
the hope and that the possibility that she can pull through. And when you're faced with somebody in a situation like that, hope is what gets you through it. For me, being present with her and celebrating every time we got something to the point where sometimes it felt she was annoyed, like, okay, guys, I'm giving you this. That's what gets you through. We're just still in this waiting game, right? We're in this waiting game to find out what damage or what responses we can get. Fast forward, ultimately, she was in a coma for five weeks. And ultimately, the damage on her body from the infection, the infection was still pretty rampant up until the end, um, that it was simply too much for her body. At least she did not make it. There was multiple trips back down there to be with her, moved her to a new facility for long, like a longer term care. You know, towards the end, and this is for another conversation when I'm prepared to share this part of it, we did see her body starting to shut down. And the the moments of hope, the moments of aliveness, I guess is the easiest way to put it, were diminishing. And um, ultimately, it was too much. She passed away on July 30th, 2022, five weeks after going into the hospital. And nothing can prepare you for an experience like this. But an experience like this changed me. And I've said it before, a part of me died with her. Lots of parts of me. And that's okay. And I, I think what's why it's so raw right now of, you know, we're coming up on a year. And I'm seeing things from the work that I was doing prior to her going into the hospital. Where we we were living, you know, she was out traveling the world and attending a wedding and celebrating her 37th birthday. And I am a business coach and I was launching new programs and getting inspired to do new things. Like I was like, okay, this feels really, really good. Like the last couple of years, right, with COVID, things really were different. And so I'm seeing like reminders of me putting out some content on Instagram. Two days before she went into the hospital, I made a reel about the power of being present and holy shit, like to really sit with that and say that advice that I was giving to other people was the exact advice and I needed while I was going through the next five weeks and had no clue that's the advice I needed. So it's raw because I'm seeing like this this pre-gen time of we were all just living. We had no clue what was coming up. And isn't that true for all of us? We really have no clue of when our life can be turned upside down. And in sharing her story and in sharing my grief, my intention is that we can honor all life changes, all transitions in our life, all losses, whether that be, you know, a death. The first part of May, I lost my job, a job I had been at for 14 years. One of two people in my office laid off almost like a month and a half before my world would be completely turned upside down, but I didn't have a job. So I was able to be travel to California to be with her. That's kind of crazy, but pretty cool in the, in the, the, the big scheme of it, right? Like I would take her back in a million years. I would take her back for everything that is not possible. Part of me, the reason why I am sharing her story and sharing now on a podcast is because 
at any given time, something can happen in our lives or not even that something big, but we experience these, we experience, experience these losses. And do we allow ourselves to feel all the emotions of the grief that comes with those loss? Losing my job was unexpected, but also something that I had been putting it out there to the universe saying, okay, I love the security of this job, but it doesn't light me up anymore. So then the universe is like, okay, here, we'll just get rid of that for you. And also now you have the space to be with your sister while she's in a coma and subsequently passing. And and as I'm going back and like looking at past journals over the last couple of years, and again, like looking at content that I was putting out a year ago, not knowing what tomorrow would bring. And my messages were a lot about allowing the transitions to happen, embrace the change with love, death and rebirth, and how many times we lose ourselves in this life so that we can we can live live more. There's so many times like I can look back in my own experience and realize parts of me died, not like my physical self, but you know, when I became a mother, that independent person that only had herself to be you know responsible for, she died. Did I process that grief? Absolutely not. When I lost my job, there was grief in there. And I am a year later, just kind of sitting in this like whirlwind of what the hell happened in this last year? Holy shit. But that's why I talk about grief. That's why I launched this podcast of being able to say, okay, can we move our grief? Because this grief lives within me now. Losing my sister was the hardest thing I have ever gone through. And losing my sister transformed me to live. I can't stay quiet about it because of the gift of life, the gift of newness that she gave me when she died. Sit in that energy of the loss that you've experienced. And if this is a loved one or a job, or maybe you're in a space in your business where your parts of it are dying too, and you're transforming yourself or allowing yourself to dream bigger and more than you were before, but there is pieces of you that you will need to let go of. That is the grief. That is moving that grief and honoring that through your body and experiencing it through your body. So yes, like I, I feel like sharing her story allows me to share why grief is a part of my business now. I did not plan for this. I did not expect this to happen. And there are many people that have gone through this loss with me as well. And they're not sharing it publicly. And I don't, that's great. Like part of me wishes I could be super quiet about this and just be like to constantly be revisiting it. For me, it's healing for others that could feel limiting or, or painful. And that is okay. I did not set out June, June 22nd, the day before she went into the hospital and, you know, say, okay, my world is going to change tomorrow. And I want to now build a business around grief. What times in your life where you have been completely transformed by events or things or downloads or information that you receive that you can't be quiet about? I have since been more open about talking to this. I meet people on, you know, online or in person. I remember like right after she passed, I told strangers about her. I wanted everybody to know her and feel her and hear her. And I have met people along the path that have their own stories of grief and loss. Some of them are choosing to speak out about it. 
and the vulnerability that that takes to speak out about it is huge. And yet there's still judgment that they're receiving that how dare you take this life experience and monetize it through a business. I'm saying, what if we take our life experiences and if we choose to support others, let us be compensated for that support. Trust me, I've been through my own my own ego and emotions around like, am I really building a business around my grief, the loss of my sister? What else would I do with this? This is healing for me to be able to share this story. And then to know that maybe I can be supporting others in their loss so that they can live as well in their own time. It might not be your journey to publicly speak out about the big life events that happen to you. And that is 100% okay. For me, it's a choice and I'm choosing to share. And I'm also choosing to honor the capacity of myself and my body that when it feels like I get to go in, that I can be quiet about it as well. But if my story and my healing through my story can support just one person in their healing and their living, that's enough for me. So if you're that one person, know that I see and I feel and I hear you. And if you're listening to this and saying, I want to live. And I invite you to, to accept that grief is with you, accept that the loss is with you. And then how can you live with that loss? And for me, knowing that she is always by my side, she has never left me. She might not be a phone call away, but she's a prayer away for me. She's a open conversation driving down the street, talking to myself. She's right there still. I have an experience with my father who passed away in 2014 where I numbed it and I have shared that before. It doesn't feel it doesn't feel expansive or supportive for me to go down that path. And so now you get the story of Jen. And as a follow-up, and this is more of an accountability for myself to publicly state this, I am also writing a book at this time about the time this this magical time and I say magical and oh my gosh, there's so much pain, suffering, but the book, no words were spoken yet. So much was said is the time that I was able to be present with my sister while she was choosing to fight and choosing to be here with us. And then ultimately choosing her path. My intention for writing that book is to share the beauty of death. Ooh, and this is vulnerable to even speak out loud right now. To share the beauty of death and the polarity that comes with death, that living and cycles of life, without death, we do not know living. And we will all experience death in our life. We will experience emotional death. We will experience spiritual death. And we will experience a physical death. And for me, I'm I'm hoping that this book and my continued messages on the podcast and sharing people's stories that we can also see that we can live and embody our grief so that we can truly live. Because I feel that my sister's living still. She's traveling the galaxy. She's on to her next abundance of adventures. And if choosing to see that and choosing to believe that 
supports me in my healing and supports me in my living, then I'm going to keep doing it. Because the alternative is that I can stay in the pain and I can stay in the suffering and I can stay in the sadness. And those still exist in choosing to still live. But though that no words were spoken yet, so much was said is about and the choice to heal. So stay tuned. That's going to, it's in the process right now. And I will share more of it on the podcast so that you can know what's coming. Again, like I said, it's just sharing my story, sharing this message is is in with the intention that it can support you or it can support somebody that you know that is experiencing immense loss. Ooh, thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing this space for me to share more of the story. I feel good. I feel complete. I'm sure I missed some things. I'm sure I missed a lot. But I, I hope this now gives you an idea of why grief is embedded in my work. And whether you choose to be supported through the free podcast that's out there, you desire to somatically move your grief through the grief acceptance program, or if you want to work with me on the business side where you are like allowing yourself to get your music out there, to get your genius out there, to get your gifts out there, you will feel from me this this idea that grief will be there. And as you're shifting and getting your genius out there and getting your business out there, there will be times where that the fear of the unseen is going to come up or that fear of letting go parts of you is going to come up. You're in a safe container. You're in a safe space to be seen and heard. And um, if you're in my world, just know that you will always be seen and you will always be heard and you will always be held in the space of love, acceptance, and healing. Take care of yourselves, please. And sending you so much love.